I use this podcast as a hotel, as my parents would say. This house isn't just a hotel. You can't just come and go as you please. You need to do chores. Welcome to the Tuesday Night Podcast. This is the podcast all about the stories we make while playing the games we love on, around, and even under the gaming table. It's episode 139, and with me, I have the, um, ah, man, I had such a good one, too. Fuck. Hey, guys, it's me, Sean. (laughs) Hey, how you doing, Sean? I'm stressed out. Why? Lay it on me. This is what this show's about. It's nothing but an excuse for us to vent our frustrations. Well, we've got the That's Not Lemonade Kickstarter ending on Thursday. You hit one of my boxes of to talk abouts. Checking that off so we don't have to talk about that too much anymore. That's right. If you haven't gotten in yet, get in now. Because at the time of this episode's release, you only have less than three days. Get in while the getting's good. And usually right around the end of the Kickstarter is when my job kicks into high gear because we've got shipping, we've got Gen Con coming up. There's a lot of stuff we want to do there. We're like at a kind of a transition point in our company where we're going from the guys that have one or two games out to having three or four, an expansion. We have three games in an expansion. Mm-hmm. Game one, two rooms and a boom. Mm-hmm. Game two, World Championship Russian Roulette. Game three... That's not Lemonade, and the expansion, Necrobumicon. What are we doing differently at the end now that we have these games, Sean? What are we doing? Uh, I don't understand what you mean. What are we doing differently than... What am I fishing for? I'm fishing for Backer Kit. Yes, we're going to use Backer Kit, which we've never used before, which is a big point of uncertainty, and uncertainty is one of those things that stresses me out. Will it work? Will it not work? What will be the unique hurdles? Did we mess something up? And then Kickstarter... And this is a smaller Kickstarter than like some of our other ones, so there's like some room to play around. And it's simple. We're not like giving out a lot of different Kickstarter exclusives or anything like that. Like if it was a big minis game, it's pretty simple. You can get the game, you can get multiple copies of the game, or you can get all of our games in a sort of bundle. I think some people could accuse us of slacking off this Kickstarter because we didn't have any stretch goals. We didn't do any clever role-playing game thing that you could do in the comment section. We have one update so far. Okay, we made it. Thanks, guys. Woo! And we'll probably have another update, which will say, it's over. Thanks again. Woo! But we didn't give people weekly updates like we did with Two Rooms and a Boom. Just trying to get people to Kickstarter and making it as clear, cut, and dry as possible. But here's the cool thing about Backer Kit, Sean. It allows anybody to add on things to their pledge if they want. So let's suppose you get That's Not Lemonade and you want to add on two rooms and a boom and just two rooms and a boom. You just tack that on. My question for you that I asked before off the air, I'm going to ask you right now, Sean. Are people going to be able to order Mothership? Uh, maybe? We'll have to figure it out because we don't really know how it works on the back end yet. But if you want to get Mothership, you can right now. Am I crazy? It's on DriveThruRPG. You can get there by going to our website or by going to MothershipRPG.com. It's actually pay what you want, so it's totally free if you want. That's us again giving free stuff out because apparently we don't like money at this company. (laughs) Idiots. Sean, you know what else I want to do today besides talk about the end of That's Not Lemonade Kickstarter campaign? No, I don't. 
I want to answer some emails and possibly knight someone. Let's do this. Howdy. It's time for interaction satisfaction. Shoot us your emails, your comments, or your questions. We'll do our best to answer them. So speaking of Mothership, Dan Sparks writes in, What happened to the Mothership episode? Dan, Dan's referring to the fact that we recorded a live episode while we were at Origins with Dan Straud, Sir Weenie, Lindsay Road, you as the warden of the Mothership game, and myself. Well, I'm working on it, Dan! Get off my back, bro! I'm still working on it. I'm working my way through. Stay tuned. The plan is next episode is episode 140, which is what, Sean? It's a zero episode. Yeah! That's right. It's zero episode, which is our would-be knaves opportunity to catch up because we're going to just talk about the podcast itself, the meta episode. And then after that, I'm hoping mothership episode. We have to be careful because right after that is Gen Con. So these are butting up together. Man, time is flying way too fast. Ah. Ah, yeah. Uh, I think this next one will perhaps spark a little conversation. It's Kelly Cadnam. Kelly Cadnam writes in and says, I know your opinion of Seven Wonders. Are there any other massively popular games you despise and why? I wouldn't say I despise Seven Wonders, by the way. Do you despise Seven Wonders, Sean? Yes. Okay. I don't despise Seven Wonders. I just really don't like it because of alternatives. For instance, why play Seven Wonders when you can play Sushi Go? Or even better, if people say Sushi Go and Seven Wonders, you shouldn't compare them because Seven Wonders is meatier. My argument is, is it though? I don't think it is. Here's a better alternative to Seven Wonders than Sushi Go is the game called Overseers. Sean, have I ever played Overseers with you? No, I've never even heard of that game. Oh my goodness, I got the box behind me. Let me snag it. (laughs) Sean, maybe if I show you this game, you'll remember it because I had to have shown you this game before because of simply how gorgeous it is. Overseers is a pure drafting game, very similar to Sushi Go, but there's character cards that have special abilities that you deal out every round. And so by the end of, I think, three hands, you go ahead and see who has more points. So imagine Sushi Go with character abilities and you start to get the understanding. But the best thing about Overseers besides the gameplay is got to be how gorgeous this game is. Ooh, it is... Go ahead and Google that stuff right now, Overseer's Card Game, Sean, and I want you to comment on it. Ooh, it's so pretty. You son of a bitch. Was that your mock typing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you lazy. Let's, let me turn it over to you, Sean, because I talk too much anyway. Do you have any other games that seem massively popular that you despise? Oh, Overseer's is really pretty. I know what game this is. Yeah, yeah. It has that very, and I don't want to get this wrong, I want to say Chinese feel to it. Oh, yeah, super oriental. <laughs> mm. I'm Asian, everybody, so just like... Uh, 
I'm not exactly sure if that's how it works. I mean, you don't hear me comfortably calling people cracker-ass honky-tonk whiteies or anything like that. White person dealing with race! <laughs> the designer and artist are both Taiwanese, so, like, Chinese isn't crazy to say. Okay. All right, Sean, you. Spotlight's on you, sir. What are games that I despise that everybody really likes? So despise is a hard word because to really despise a game, it's almost like you have to play it. Like nobody despises a Star Wars movie more than a Star Wars fan. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. That's my uh, my new thing is that the bigger a Star Wars fan you are, the l- fewer Star Wars movies you like. In fact, people who aren't fans often like more Star Wars movies than people who call themselves Star Wars fans, it turns out. That's brilliant. I'm so convinced. A lot of games like, say, like Exploding Kittens. I don't despise that game. It's just not really my thing. Any despising I would have would be like professional rivalry of like how great the Kickstarter did. Right, for such a simple game. Right. Exploding Kittens. It's like, that did really well? Oh, well, that's because we don't have the oatmeal artist behind us. Games where I was, like, playing it, and I was like, oh, man, I thought this would be more fun, and I packed it up where, like, Mice and Mystics, and... Ooh, you're smacking our friends at Plat Hat Games with that one, but okay, go on. And the Pathfinder card game, the Pathfinder Adventure card game. Both just had, like, a lot of looking up stuff online that you'd think would be in the rulebook. Clunky. Yeah, messy rules writing is like a big thing for me. I'm sure they're not bad games. I'm sure they're super fun or people have a lot of fun with their kids. Oh, don't backpedal now. You said you despise Seven Wonders. Say it wrong, say it strong. But they just like didn't do it for me. I was playing it and I was like, oh, I thought this would be easier and more fun. So I just like packed it up and never really saw it again. I did play the Pathfinder Adventure card game for almost the entire first campaign. I thought it was a fun time. If you whittle it down, yeah, it's rolling dice against numbers, like you could argue a lot of encounters are with role-playing games, but the difference is in a role-playing game, you have a dungeon master that tells you the story and what happens. Right, you can't like come up with an alternate solution in Pathfinder card game, right? You can't be like, what if we tied a rope to a pig? It's like, well, my numbers are higher. Correct. I don't think that's bad design. And even getting through it the first time, it was like, okay, now that we know all this stuff, it makes sense. I think what you're nailing, the clunkiness, is the single biggest barrier to a game hitting my table multiple times. If it was too much of a chore to learn, if it's on my shelf just for a month, I know that I'm going to have to relearn those damn rules again, unless it was elegant as anything. So the more clunk, the harder it is to retain those rules, which means just more work having to relearn the same damn game. Which is why I end up playing more Sushi Go, King Domino. We play a lot of Guillotine, which is like not the best game in the world, but it's so easy to remember that it's going to hit the table a lot more. Same with um, Deception, Murder in Hong Kong, Flam Rouge, some of my favorite games, Thunder Road. All these games are really easy to remember and the things you might forget you could flip open and be like, who goes first or whatever. I have one that is really easy to learn and I thought... I don't really get this. I don't really get the hype and craze because it's massively popular right now. And I see so many people posting that I'm afraid to even mention it. It seems that trending right now, that hot, that when I say this, I'm worried about all the emails that will come in. Podcast at TuesdayNightGames.com. Spelled with a K. I'm like internally rolling my eyes. You can't see that at Why are you rolling your eyes at me? Because it's so controversial. The stakes are so high. Because if you're a little like, it's so controversial, please email us. (laughs) It's just funny. You're saying I'm a shill for the show? Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's the mind. Have you heard of the mind? 
oh yeah, you don't like that game, and everybody likes that game. I I could see that one coming up because more and more people were saying like, oh the mind, oh Spieldiaris, and I could see that like kind of Alan thing turning inside where you're like, well, it's not that good. <laughs> more people at Origins that like sold out were coming to the booth like, did you play the mind? It's so great. Talk, talk, talk to us about the mind. I don't despise this game. It's definitely under the category of I don't get it because it seems broken to me in a very simple way. I'll do an elevator pitch for the mind for those rare listeners, knaves, knights, and nobles alike that have not heard of the mind. Give me a character, Sean. You are a valley girl. I love it. Okay. Ding me, SBJ. Like, oh my god, have you heard of The Mind? It's this game where all it has is like cards that go from 1 to 100. Yeah, and all you have to do is you each get a card and you have to play them in order. Like if I have 12 and you play 13 or higher before I play my 12, I'm like, no, no, you for sure ruined this. (laughs) But here's the crazy thing. If you can beat one round, then you each get two cards and so on and so forth. But you're not allowed to talk to each other. So you have to like read your minds you know (laughs) it's that simple have the deck of 100 cards and you try to play them and you're not allowed to communicate what you are allowed to do is slowly slide a card forward sean Mm -hmm. so what do you think my main complaint is about this game i think you think it's beatable with outside the game talking with like okay this is what i'm always gonna do and we're just going to count in our heads. And when we get to the place, you know, we're going to flip, etc. Boom. Yeah, simple. I feel like this is a game for people that can't internally count to 100. But you totally nailed it. I couldn't help but think, why not just in your mind go, all right, guys, ready? Here we go. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And then once it gets closer to your number, you start slowly sliding your card in. I guess maybe that takes too much rhythm. Ah. I guess because I'm white, Sean, I can make this joke. I guess it's a game that's hard for white people who don't have rhythm. I could totally see that. It's definitely going to hit my table a lot because I play with a lot of different people who are non-gamers. And so the easiest thing will be nobody will be around to coordinate that stuff. I don't think it's the greatest game in the world. I just think it's a good party game if the understanding is you're at a party and like nobody has played before. All right, everybody try to do this thing on your first go around. I don't know what the replayability is like with the same group over and over. Maybe somebody who's bought it and played it a ton can tell me. But with like new groups who haven't played a lot, it'll kill 10 minutes for my group. That's a really good point. Trying to get a group in sync, that is probably the challenge. However, Sean, my bigger criticism of the mind is the alternative, which I think does the exact same thing much better. The unfortunate thing is it's only for two players. And this is the game... Consentical. Gorgeous game, gorgeous art, gorgeous theme, big tarot-sized cards. Mm-hmm. This, Sean, 
is Consentical, a collaborative card game of trust, intimacy, and communication. It's just for two players. Someone's a human, someone's an alien. What's your mission? Why, to enjoy a mutually fulfilling romantic encounter with a sentient member of an unfamiliar species. And they really do emphasize the consent part of Consentical. In fact, it even says, Practice consent. Let's talk about it, baby. Before playing Consentacle, I'm reading this right off the manual. Ask a potential partner if they are willing to play Consentacle with you. Consentacle is a game of trust and intimacy where both partners, not just one, both partners must consent to play. The cards that you play, you get trust tokens of a particular color. Then you're supposed to move these trust tokens into the center of the game between you. They call that the intimacy pool. Then you change pairs of trust tokens that are in the intimacy pool into satisfaction tokens. So your main goal is to create and take satisfaction with your consenting partner. <laughs> It's pretty simple. All you have to do is follow these steps. Step one, you pick one of your cards. Again, beautiful tarot-sized cards, Sean. <laughs> then you play your card, flipping it over at the same time as your partner. Ideally, you're playing the same cards. Now, let me give you an idea of what some of these cards are called. Wink, gaze, touch, kiss, Bite, penetrate, release, lick, stroke, other obviously intimately physical actions. But if you can do the same card that your partner does, this means you get a combo. If your cards form a combo, you follow the combo instructions at the bottom of the card instead of the regular instructions at the top. So this kind of multiplies the action of your cards. And that way you try to get in sync and try to play the exact same type of cards without any type of conversation. No communication except looking at each other. It's amazing. I'm not doing the game justice, but I also really like the fact that it emphasizes consent. So that's my alternative to the mind. And when I played Consentical, I was thinking, oh, this is accomplishing what the mind's trying to do, but I think on a higher level where I actually feel more connection than frustration with my other player. Anyway, I got one more email and then we can probably pack it in. You ready for this last email? Hit me. This comes from Gabriel Oliviro. Oliviro. It comes from Gabe. Gabe writes, Hi, Alan, Sean, and Lindsay. Side note, he's including Lindsay in this. Weird. Massive fan of the show from the other side of the world. Side note, he's from Australia. Alan, as I promised, here's my very late Nave Tonight submission. Side note, we're gonna get there. I'm still plugging away at Ascension on my phone. Side note, I've talked to Gabe on Facebook. We talked about Ascension and how you can break Ascension by getting too many- Side note, don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Sean, good luck with Mothership, and I hope all goes well with selling the game. Side note, I do care. Continue. <laughs> Lindsay, keep working on your assassin game. Alan is just like a boss in Dark Souls. You'll get him eventually. Side note, I still haven't beat Dark Souls 3. I'm stuck on the giant. Ooh. Yeah. If you lot ever find yourselves in Sydney, hit me up. I'd happily show you around. Side note, 
I think we should go to Sydney, Australia, Sean. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Sending good vibes from the future. Gabe. All right. You ready to listen to Gabe's Nave tonight's mission, Sean? Why is he in the future? I don't understand that part. If anything, he's in the past. It's a letter. Because of the time zones, Australia, going into the future, yo. You get it? You savvy? Yes, I'm ready. Hi, Alan, Sean, Lindsay, knaves, knights, and nobles alike. My name is Gabe, and here is my New Year's story about Minotaurus. Minotaurus! It's a game about a labyrinth and a minotaur. You gotta get you guys through the labyrinth, but you gotta avoid the minotaur. I went on holiday up north from Sydney with family and friends, and along with movies and music, we did play plenty of board games. One of my favourites being Minotaurus. For anyone who doesn't know the game, it's a Lego board game for two to four players based on the Theseus story about the Minotaur. Each player has three champions which have to navigate the maze. You roll a d6 to move, which also allows players to move walls of the maze or the Minotaur itself. Now, I'm not going to lie, I'm super competitive. I have two older brothers who used to beat me at every game when I was small, so it was always my passion to learn and be the best at a game. Although this time around, this sort of passion turned a bit salty. My fiance, Lara, my friends Lexi and Jerry, we were all playing a round of Minotaurus. The usual backstabbing with the game ensues where you're blocking people's paths with walls. This game was getting a bit heated between Lara and myself, where we kept on blocking each other's path by changing the maze. Lara, the cheeky devil, completely boxes me in, in my starting square with the grey tiles. This was bad since all my champions were recently eaten by the Minotaur, so I had to wait for luck to unblock myself with a grey tile. I was pissed. I lost it. This is bullshit! I'd been ranting at how it wasn't fair and when I finally lost the game I went off in a half. Once I went inside and calmed myself down, I knew I'd ruined the night. Why would anyone want to play that game after putting on that kind of display? While I was sitting there, on the couch, inside of my own head, my two young nephews, Ari and Mori, were watching Star Wars Episode 4, A New Hope. Ari could see the distress on my face and asked me what was wrong. Well, I told the kid the truth and I said I was sad about losing a game. Now this is where Ari got super cute and he said to me, would you like to play Street Fighter to make you feel better? Now, on my Christmas last year, I got the new Super Nintendo emulators. So I had Street Fighter on it. Ari loved, loved it. And his favourite character, like mine, was Blanka. We loved doing the mirror match. But then the thought struck my head. Would it really kill me to lose a game? Do I have to be the best at everything? So that session with Ari, I completely tanked it. I just didn't block and I just let him completely beat me. He'd yell out, again, again. He was having a good time, and so was I. Again, it hit me. Games 
aren't all about winning. But then something even better happened. Minotaurus. Everyone wanted to play again. Completely blew my mind. So we did it. It was a super close game in Minotaurus, where everyone had two champions in the middle and it went right down to the wire. What was important was I lost. I didn't care because I was having a good time with my friends and family. Like Alan says, you don't have to win to have a good time. Side note, Blanca's my favorite character too. Always has been. And there was a local Street Fighter 2 tournament. I made it into the finals with Blanca. Lost shortly thereafter. So <laughs> couldn't beat Rue or guy who was playing Guile. Is that something you say? You don't have to win to have fun? I don't know if I've heard you say that. Well, I'm saying it now, Sean. You don't have to win to have fun. <laughs> I'm no saint where I've lost and totally embarrassed myself. So I appreciate that Gabe's being vulnerable and honest and telling about a time that he was insecure as well. Are there any times you've had a hissy fit at losing? Be insecure with me, Sean. I want to feel you. In person, it's less common because I'm acutely aware that it's a social situation. And I'm a competitive person, you know, because I'm a game designer. Let's be very clear. Sorry to interrupt. We are designed evolutionarily by nature to be competitive. There is nothing wrong with being competitive. It is not an insult. When someone says you're competitive, I like to say thank you. But being a poor sport or being emotionally reactive, that is different. But go on. So you're competitive. So like an activity is something you can do for fun and you shouldn't be competitive at, right? Like you shouldn't be competitive at swinging on the swings, but like games have rules and winners. It's okay to play to win. It's not okay to be like a dickhead, of course. There's nothing wrong with being like, yeah, I I tried to do the best I could do so that I could win this game. (laughs) The lines get blurry about what that is in more social hidden role type games, of course. I'm usually acutely aware of that because I'm hosting. It's very rare that I'm like just playing a game at a tournament where I can just say like, ah, fuck this guy, I'm going to win. So my hissy fit moments are online on Hearthstone games or playing Go online. In Hearthstone, they've made it very hard to do what's called griefing, where you just are super annoying to the other player with your emote. But you can just tell. Usually what happens is you're so close to winning and then somebody has the perfect response for you and you just spiral. Like leave the room, quit, or just leave the screen and walk away, which is a super shitty and unsportsmanlike thing to do. And in Go, I can see it too, where it's you realize that you had this really great plan and everything was going your way for like 400 moves or whatever. And then you've made a tiny mistake out of nowhere that you didn't see coming and you feel like you deserve to win, that you played better, and that your moves were more elegant and beautiful. But because of this tiny error that this person happened to notice at this one point, everything's going to be destroyed and that you'll actually be beaten by a worse player. Do you deserve to win? Well, no. You should be punished for that. So those are usually my internal meltdowns. I can't think of a lot of external meltdowns for me. It has to be a lot easier for you to melt down with online games because you're out of that social situation. It's kind of like road rage where Mm -hmm. you see someone as a vehicle, not as a human being, because we don't sidewalk rage. When someone bumps into me in the hallway, I'm not like, what the fuck, man? But if someone cuts me off on the road, I'm more akin to have more of an emotional reaction. Absolutely. 
I mean, that's partly why like video game culture is generally so toxic is there are no repercussions for your behavior online. If somebody acted like that at a Mario Kart tournament, those people get beat up or they don't get invited to parties anymore in real life. Like back when you're playing like Halo 2 at your house, right? Like if somebody just has a total meltdown, everybody's like, whoa, okay, we need to stop playing this for a bit. It's just a game. But you can just keep having meltdown after meltdown in your basement, you know, forever. These aren't new concepts, but they're new when we're talking about board games and melting down. (laughs) Classic hissy fit video game moment is when you would take the cord of the controller and swing the controller over your head like a maniac from medieval time swinging a morning star, screaming, and then you thwap it down and watch the controller shatter into thousands of pieces. Yeah! <laughs> Huge hissy fits. This sounds like something that would have happened to your brother. Yeah. I've never shattered a controller, if I'm being totally honest. Should we knight this guy? Yes. What should we knight him? Should we just knight him Sir Gabe, or should we get fancy with, like, Sir Hissy Fit, or Sir Loves to Lose, or Sir Sore? Let's call him Sir Winner, and then we'll always kind of give, like, a wink. (laughs) (laughs) Sir Winner? (laughs) Winky face? You know. (laughs) All right, fine. We'll do it. Sir Winner, asterisk. (laughs) Sir Winner, asterisk. All right. Nave! Approach we nobles and kneel to allow us to honor thee. We, on behalf of all knaves, knights, and nobles alike, applaud thine heroic and knightly contribution to this, the Tuesday Night Podcastle. Allow us to dub thee Sir Winner, asterisk winky face, of the Tuesday Night Podcast. Now rise, rise, Sir Winner, as the newest knight of the Tuesday Night Gaming Table. Yay! <laughs> Welcome. Gabe, if you really hate the name, just uh, email us again to let us know if you want us to dub you something else, if it really bothers you. So where should he email? I know he already knows, but what have he forgot, Sean? Podcast at TuesdayNightGames.com. Spelled with a K. Are we on the Twitter? We are on the tweets. At PlayTKG. <laughs> TKG? At PlayTKG? Please send us your Nave Tonight's missions, question, comments, concerns. The last few episodes we've been doing nothing but catching up on our emails and our Nave Tonight submissions. So thank you so much. Keep them coming in. We love having them. And I like having you on the show, Sean. Thanks. I like having you on the show, too. Oh, well, that's convenient. And I think with that being said, this episode is... Like a finish! Anyone else noticed it's been a while since I've been on this here show? <laughs>